0: 919- Nine, eight, seven, two, seven, thousand. Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc., investment
1: advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc., and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight.
2: This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters. On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Hi, Dan. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this well, evening? Oh,
3: good
4: evening, Dan. Uh, 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 good, e- good evening. Uh, my wife and I, we have some uh, CDs, uh, some fixed annuities. And we're putting PODs on them and beneficiaries, and our understanding is if we do this, this will keep it out of our will, which will keep it out of probate. Is that correct?
1: Uh, that's right. Yeah, it won't go through probate.
4: Okay. Uh, the rest of our our
1: assets that we may have, uh, we would like to fill out a simple will. No, wait a minute. Go back. You said the CDs. What else did you say you've got? Fixed uh, uh, Fixed annuity. Uh, that's a little tricky. Yeah, we'll come back to that one. Uh, uh, but let me hear the rest of, of what you've got, and then we'll come back to that because annuities are different.
4: Okay, and we are we're gonna we're gonna update our will, and we I, I believe that uh, my understanding is uh, whatever beneficiaries we put on and and, uh, and PODs that we have listed, we'll keep it out of. Uh, out of the will, which will keep it out of probate because those are distributed first. And what uh, what could we put into a simple will uh, that we may have left over? You know? Well,
3: Dan, let, let's start with what you have that would be, um, well, in two different areas. So the things that are non-retirement assets.
4: Correct. Okay. We do have some retirement assets also.
1: All right. Well, let's take them one by one. What do you have in non-retirement assets?
4: CDs and uh, and annuities.
1: All right. Yeah, but and how, how much is that worth? How much? About, oh, I don't know offhand. Uh, roughly. Well, what, do you have any idea? What you know?
2: Is it like a hundred thousand, or is it eighty thousand?
1: It's probably around a hundred, maybe. All right. So you've got hundred thousand in CDs and in annuities, and these are in an IRA? No, these are these are non-qualified. Oh, these are non-qualified. Okay. All right. 100,000 non-qualified. Now, and how old are you, Dan?
4: 69. You're 68, six, 68.
1: All right. 68. And I presume you're married. Yes. And your wife is
4: Yeah, married. Yeah. She's about the same age.
1: All right. 68, 68. Okay. Any dependents at home? No. Okay. All right. Now, what do you have in retirement accounts? Uh, probably about the same only about a hundred thousand. Yeah. All right. Now, your question is with regard to proper estate documents with the purpose of having a complete estate plan. Is that is that basically what you're asking? That's correct. Okay. Uh, first of all, you do want to have uh, a will. At sixty eight and sixty nine, I might consider revocable living trust because there is a likelihood that you will not die that something happens to you and the revocable living trust deals with what happens if you don't die, but you become disabled or incapacitated. Uh-huh. Uh, we uh, Once, once most clients that come to see us after the age of 60, we're usually pretty, we usually recommending the revocable living trust. Mm-hmm. And we would have, and I would say without meeting, without knowing more about your, personal world and the situations that I would ask you in my office, uh, I would put down two question marks, a revocable living trust for you and a revocable living trust for your wife. I don't like joint revocable living trusts.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind.
1: Then in addition, you do need a will If you do the revocable living trust, then what you need is a simple pour over will. A pour over will says anything that I didn't put into the name of my revocable living trust, pour it over and follow the instructions over there. So it's usually a simple little one-page document Okay, okay in other words, if you do your estate planning properly, and by the way, write down our phone number, write down nine one nine okay 919- 872- 872- 7000. 7, right nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand also go to our website. the website is doug and linda dot com doug and linda dot com
2: now Dan, do you own your home?
1: Yes, and what is the value of the home? Uh, two twenty, two thirty. Okay. Any mortgage on the home? No. Okay. All right. So now we want we want to have for sure a document that says what happens when I die, and if it's a revocable living trust, it has two sections to it. First, it has what if I am incompetent? I have a stroke. I have Alzheimer's. I have something. What happens to all the stuff that I that's in my revocable living trust in 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 that situation? And then comes the second section that says, "What happens to my stuff when I die?" Yep. And that's the uh, that's the intestate. That's the, uh, the 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 provisions that look like a will, but really say where everything goes. All right. Now, in the event of a revocable living trust. There is no probate. They bypass probate. Everything owned by Revocable Living Trust bypasses probate.
4: Okay.
1: All right. Now, then you need to have HIPAA authorizations for each of you. That's very crucial. HIPAA authorizations are the right to let – that you give authorization, for example, to your wife if she wants to call the doctor and get your medical condition, get your medical records. Without HIPAA authorizations, then uh, it's it, it can be a real terrible situation.
4: Well, we have – We have that set up with all our doctors that we see that we're we're totally... uh, That's
1: good. That's good. I like to see HIPAA authorizations uh, where you have given provisions. Do you have any children? No. No. Okay, so probably each, to each other, and maybe to a, a brother or a sister or somebody else that you want to have access. Let's say the two of you are both in an accident, car accident, and neither of you uh, uh, or both of you are are incapacitated. Exactly, Is that the, uh, health uh, health care power of attorney. All right, Great. That's that's uh-huh. separate. No, that's separate. The oh, hip okay. the, first the hip authorizations. Okay, all right. That's to get in medical information. Now we come to the health power of attorney and each of you should have health care powers of attorney. And this is the one, yes, where you give the right to your spouse typically to make medical decisions for you, increase uh, medication, decrease it, too much morphine, reduce the morphine to override the doctor. You are giving the power of attorney to make medical decisions to uh, to your uh, your power, your attorney. In fact, usually it's the spouse and it may be someone else. In my own case, I've also given them to my children. I have clients in my office. Very often they say I'd like also it to be given to someone else and so on. Then you need living wills. Living wills are the documents that says we want to have uh, artificial life support removed.
4: I understand that. Yes. Okay. We
1: have that also. All right. So once we've gotten... Revocable living trust, pour over wills, HIP authorizations, durable pow- uh, medical powers of attorney, and living wills. You have one more, which is a durable power of attorney. Now, the durable power of attorney is the one. It doesn't have to do with your uh, uh, with your medical condition, but it has to do with. Um, let's say that you need someone to sign your tax return. Mm -hmm. or your Social Security check, all right? This is the power of attorney. That's not the medical power of attorney. This is called a durable power of attorney. It endures beyond incapacitation.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
1: All right, once you've got those, those items in place, we'll come back to your question because some things... Are not touched, and that is anything that has a beneficiary designation on it. The will does not touch it. Oh, okay. As a matter of fact, the beneficiary. You could say, for example, that I leave my um, uh, my annuity to my my wife, but the beneficiary designation on the annuity might say it's going to your brother, and the will is of no use. So the annuity has a, has an, an, a beneficiary attached to it. So does your uh, qualified your IRA and your four hundred one k's. Yep. Mm-hmm. So no matter what happens with regard to your wills and your revocable living trust, the other items that have beneficiary designations that supersedes.
4: Okay, that goes. That's been distribu- distributed first.
1: Well, it goes according to what is. Not, it's not necessarily a um, a sequence.
4: No, I, I, I didn't mean sequence, but it, it totally is totally separate from the will.
1: That's right. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. That's what I meant to. Say. All right. Now let's go to the annuities. Okay. All right. The annuities you said. Uh, you said they're fixed. Have you annuitized them? No. All right. So. And that's one of the things when you if you when you come to meet with with with, with me and you wrote down our office number, I have it right. When you come to meet with me, I'm going to go over that a little more closely because I'm not sure if you understand or if you should have the fixed annuity. Uh, generally, annuities are, in my opinion, not very useful unless they have been annuitized. And if they haven't been, then you're paying money to insurance companies. Which you may not need to be doing, but again, it would be, we, we would want to start with looking at what are your living expenses. Do you know what your living expenses are running, Dan, approximately? Uh, no. Uh, no uh. We're going to start, when we do financial planning in our office, we start with the, the needs of the client.
2: Now, and, are you still working, Dan, or are you oh, retired? i retired. He's you're retired. both retired. I've mm-hmm. okay. retired for 15 years. Right. Oh, and wonderful.
1: You're, and you're both receiving Social Security. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. Okay. All right. I think that's as far as we'll go at the on the air, so I don't get too personal. But we will want to go ahead, and when we meet with you, we will. I want to get a list of your uh, your living expenses as best we can. We'll send you a form to help you fill it out. Oh, i appreciate that. Yeah, and then we'll also want to see a copy of your tax return uh, and the statements of your assets. And then from there, we can give you our real recommendations that are specific.
3: Give us a call at okay. 919-872-7000. We look forward to meeting with you.
1: Can you think of anything else while we've got you on the phone, Dan? Uh, mm,
4: uh, as far as... P.O.D.s that, that, that banks uh, that banks re, uh, require, the information that they require, and this is new to me because now they want people's uh, uh, the beneficiaries or P.O.D.'s social security numbers. And some people are kind of reluctant to let loose with that information. Not that they don't trust me, but it's just that they just, you know, it might get lost.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Uh, so this kind of puts the dampers on
1: if you do it the way I recommended, you won't need any TODs hmm. because they'll be owned by revocable living trusts. Okay, okay, I, I see where you're. And the sosa and the 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 tax ID number of the of the trust is your social security number. Okay. So there is so there there is nothing. You you, you there is no. In other words, the trust takes the place of the TOD provisions. mm Hmm. So you have the privacy factor.
4: I'm aware of that. That stays out of probate, correct?
1: It stays, everything stays out of probate, and also at your death, no one knows what your heir, your spouse, inherited.
4: Okay, all right. Otherwise, they would?
1: Yes. Anything that you own that is owned outright, that goes through probate, is public knowledge. Oh,
4: that goes through probate,
1: okay. Well, even if it, yeah, uh, if if it's owned by you at your death... Then it's it's public knowledge. It can be it can be retrieved. What's owned by a trust cannot. Okay, I understand. Tod simply says I own it, and on my death, it goes to so and so. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's still not public knowledge.
4: Okay, all right.
2: And Dan, any other questions that you might have, feel free to write them down either on a notebook or on your computer, and. Um, Give us a call at the office. Our number in Raleigh, again, is 919-872-7000.
4: Yeah, you got it. Thank you, Dan. Right in
2: front of me, Linda. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling this evening. Well, thank you, and thank you also, Doug. All right. Have a wonderful week. You're welcome, Dan. You too. All right. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of cash flow planning? Well... I guess uh, one of the um, recent
3: articles in the Wall Street Journal was about grandparents needing to set boundaries. And I think this is topical, something that all of us, uh, if not now, will later deal with. There was a lady who was interviewed. Her name was Teresa Kindred and her husband, Bill, and they're paying the preschool tuition for two of their six grandchildren. The 60-year-old grandmother offered to pay the bill when she found out her son's family couldn't afford it. It gives her joy to help, but her family knows that support is limited, and she says we're upfront about what we can afford and what we can't.
1: According to a recent survey, however, 75% of grandparents say they have provided more than $4,500 on average in financial support to their adult children. 81% have given more than $2,300 on average to their grandchildren in the past year. And over 45% of the grandparents have made some sacrifices to help their adult children or grandchild.
2: So older Americans who want to give financial gifts or other types of support, such as school tuition payments to their children and their grandchildren, often find themselves in thorny situations, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. To avoid these types of scenarios, grandparents have to set expectations at the outset and understand the impact of their giving, and it all begins with having a plan. Before setting expectations regarding a gift, it's important for grandparents to ensure that they have the ability to, to, to deliver without harming their own well-being. And we, we do that very strongly mm-hmm. in our office. When it comes up and our clients are suggesting they want to go ahead mm-hmm. and make a gift to their grandkids and so forth, first we take a look at can you afford it? Is it going to hurt your own well-being? Grandparents need to learn to say no without feeling guilty for putting their financial future first or for setting limits even if they can afford to help.
3: That's true because having a pl- financial plan in place cause, can also serve to protect grandparents in the event of mental decline that can rob them of understanding the impact of their giving. And we've seen that where uh, maybe the sibling uh, of that um, of that one child who's receiving steps in says, you know, I, I don't think mom and dad really intended to be giving away that much. Mm-hmm. Not at the, at, the, at the risk of their own financial well-being. But while many grandparents are well-intentioned in their gift giving, sometimes they use money to influence decisions such as what school the children should attend or to encourage visits, and this can cause bad feelings.
1: Yeah, grandparents may also undermine the authority of their children, the parents, by giving disproportionate amounts of money directly to their grandchildren instead of giving the money to the parents. And so, to avoid bad feelings, communicate. To your son or your daughter about what you'd like to give and get their input before you do any of the giving.
2: Grandparents often give gifts on their heirs without sharing why they're giving the gift or attaching meaning to it. And grandparents do miss out on an opportunity to share their values with younger generations when they don't share this information. And the one that's receiving the money might start to feel a little entitled to those gifts. So you want to check that out, too. Right. You don't want to give too much and you don't want to get to hurt the children. You
3: also don't want to hurt yourselves. So see us at Lewis Financial Management about setting up uh, ways that you can best to give to those that you'd like to within your own uh, financial um, boundaries. And this will help you give uh, over your own lifetime and also do it without hurting yourself.
1: A lot of what we do at Lewis Financial is we set up trust to achieve your goals for your grandkids. That's also another very nice way to uh, have your cake and eat it too.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com.
2: And I do believe we have a caller.
1: Doris, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening?
5: Yes. I have been told that since I cannot sell my home, and I have a fairly large mortgage, Uh that it is possible for me to have the deed signed over to the bank's mortgage company, saying, here, it's yours back and be done with it. Of course, Under the watchful eye and with the advice and counsel of a real estate attorney. But if I can't sell it and don't want foreclosure because I don't want any damage to my credit, what are the consequences of doing that?
1: That's a very good question. What you're talking about is a vehicle called a deed in lieu of foreclosure, a deed in lieu. And that's exactly right. Sometimes banks will allow that and sometimes they won't. If your bank will allow you to sign over a deed in lieu... That's a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Then basically you're telling the bank, I can't make the payments on this thing. And instead of me stopping the payments and you foreclosing, I'll just give you the house. That's the definition of a deed in lieu of foreclosure. You are deeding the house over to the person or the entity that you owe the money to, namely the bank. Mm -hmm. Now, how much is the size of the mortgage? How much do you owe? Two thirty-three
5: and change. All right. So we and I can make the payments. It's simply that I don't want to remain here, and I can't sell it. Mm-hmm. And if worst comes to worst, I was told that this.
1: All right. Now let me. Exp-
5: would be my only
1: choice. That's exactly correct. Now let me explain to you what happens at that time. You will sign over a deed in lieu of foreclosure if the bank allows it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If the bank says no, then they won't take that deed back. They will initiate foreclosure proceedings and then they'll get it back anyway. But if they're nice enough to let you sign over a deed in lieu of foreclosure, Mm -hmm. then as far as you're concerned, there has been no foreclosure and there's nothing on your credit. That's exactly right. Now let's go to see what else happens. The IRS now gets a notice that you received income of $233,000. And that income of $233,000 is going to go ahead and cost you approximately $93,000 of income taxes. So you, How
5: can the IRS consider a total loss?
1: Well, that's one of the unique things about our tax structure. The logic, and I'm not saying I agree with the logic, but the logic goes like this that you have a debt right now. If you put down a minus $233,000 on a piece of paper, that's a minus. Mm-hmm. The only way for you to bring this down to a zero is to put a plus 233 next to it. If you have a minus $233,000 and a plus $233,000, now you have zero debt. Mm-hmm. If you go ahead and tell the IRS that you no longer have any debt, which is true, Mm -hmm. then the IRS says, well, you must have received $233,000 of income to wipe it out. And that is called the forgiveness of debt. As far as our income tax system is concerned, forgiveness of debt is considered income and you will have to report on your income tax return. Income of $233,000 and the taxes on that will be about $93,000. I can't afford it. That's called phantom income. So you need to be very aware that yes, you can deed over. And I've had many clients come to me in the past few years Mm -hmm. who have had millions of dollars of real estate with millions of dollars of mortgages and they'd like to go ahead. And sometimes we call the banks and they are willing to take deed backs, Mm -hmm. deed in lieu of foreclosure. And sometimes they're not. But on the other hand, when they will, we have to always analyze the tax impact. Now there are ways that we can work with that, but you have to accept the fact that there will be a two hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars income generated if you walk away from that debt.
5: If I just walked away from it and they auctioned off the house, my understanding is that let's say they got one hundred and fifty thousand, mm-hmm. I would be responsible for the difference between one hundred and fifty and two thirty-three.
1: Right. Or If they take a deed in lieu of foreclosure and they sell it, then the difference is what you would report as taxable income.
3: There's no way out of this. No. Thank you, Doug. If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner, call me, Deborah Lewis at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year. 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, Deborah, what else is new in the world of financial planning? Well, there was a case study in the Wall Street Journal about an entrepreneur who had some uh, questions about uh, his new new company. Jeff Tenery hasn't contributed to his 401k in more than two years. So here are some of the facts about his situation. The 48-year-old isn't happy about it, but he is using the money to invest in his new business, Moonlighting Marketplace, a mobile company that helps people buy and sell services and products peer-to-peer. Mr. Tennery, a husband and father of five, founded the company about three years ago in Charlottesville, Virginia. And before that, he was an employee and a co-founder of two other companies. When they were sold, it netted him several million dollars. But those sales of those companies didn't prompt him to retire or spend lavishly. He says that after the first sale, which was about 14 years ago, he and his wife moved their young family from New York to Charlottesville.
1: Wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. Sure. You said he's 48 years old. Yes. And he sold his first company 14 years ago, he was only 34 years old. Sounds like it, right. Yeah, quite an entrepreneur, and he netted a couple million dollars. And
3: netted a couple million dollars. So, so far, we're getting to know this couple and see what his question is. All right, go ahead. Okay, so he and his wife, they didn't do what many people do and live extravagantly. Instead, they went to Charlottesville. So, they liked it there because it had a lower cost of living. And then they have children, so they liked Virginia's colleges. And he even says, we're frugal. So with the five children, aging 9 to 20, uh, they uh, move to Virginia. And then as he starts talking and telling us about his situation, he says, there's no shortage of expenses. And as they list them out, they um, have quite a few. They give us a sense of what they're spending on a monthly or annual basis. But he says, you know what, the most uh, expensive thing is the health care. So that's one of his concerns. How do I pay for health care? Any other questions before we get down to some of the, the solving his problems? No, I
1: want to hear a little more about him, and so we'll see uh, okay. what, how, do we, how do we solve this, this guy's problem. All right. What his so, problem
3: is. So, uh, Ms. Tennery, she works full-time uh, as a homemaker, and he is paying himself about a $90,000 salary from this new company he formed.
1: Moonlighting, that's the name of the company? M- yeah, Moonlighting, Moonlighting marketplace. marketplace. Okay, well, yeah. how much is the salary he gives himself?
3: 90000
1: Okay. All
3: right. And he says it's much less than he was earning before. But he's now he's thinking like an entrepreneur. All right. So here's what he owns. This is what he's accumulated. He has less than a million saved in a 401k. So that's kind of surprising. And about 70% of that, do you want to know where it's invested? Yeah, stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, and cash. All right. But the most striking part of this case study is that he has seven years worth of family living expenses saved in cash.
1: Seven years?
3: Seven years. Wow. So I did some math. Well, if he's paying himself 90000 and let's say he's not paying all the bills with his salary because he says he needs supplemental income, right. let's call that $100,000, 150000 a year. All right. If he's got seven years of 150000 that's a 1, dollars fifty thousand that he would have in cash in the bank. And he's saying to the writer of the Wall Street Journal, so here are the facts about my life. What would you recommend
1: that I do? All right, so this is the classic entrepreneur headed down the wrong path.
3: If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919 872 That's 919-872-7000.
1: 1st of all, he's already netted several several millions of dollars, he says, on sale of companies. Right. Where's the money? Where's the money? All right, he must have plowed it back into this the new, next company. The new first company. mistake every entrepreneur makes that I meet, they they plow the money from one back into the other. Mm-hmm. And it's like standing on a four-lane highway, not being hit by the first car, saying, I didn't get hit, so I'll stand there again. Yeah. And eventually, you're going to get hit. So right. that's that's a big no-no. Second thing is, what's he doing? Now, I don't know how he got a million dollars uh, in his 401k. Somehow, he must have done something unusual with the stock of his company before but in any case, that's where it is. But now he's not contributing, so he's, so he's getting no tax benefits. All right, he needs tax, he needs financial planning very badly. First of all, the way he needs to approach his world is every bit of profit that comes from a business, you need to pull out of that business and start investing it in, a, in an investment portfolio of your own, not attached to the business, okay because that way you're protecting yourself if the business goes under then you have you you've you've gotten something out you of it you got
3: something to to, to to show for you, it, to show for it. Right. right something you own outside of All the right. company
1: now the second thing is he's got five kids okay he's got five kids he's only in his 40s he's barely he's not even 50 years old yet okay so he needs to have yes an emergency fund. Of course, everybody needs an emergency fund. We need to find out what his living expenses are, and like you say, Deborah, if his expenses are somewhere around a hundred thousand a year, we now need to have a needs analysis breaking down his expenses into two broad categories. Right. What we are his recurring monthly, monthly expenses, expenses yeah. and then what are his discretionary expenses like vacation, gifts, and clothing, etc.? Right. Using that recurring monthly expense, let's say it's maybe $4,000 a month, all right? If those are his expenses recurring monthly, we need to have maybe three to six months. Three times four would be $12,000. 6 would be 24000 of cash set in an emergency fund, not a million dollars.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000 even if using 100,000 and you had 50,000 right, still 50,
1: not a million dollars purpose being that then the rest of that cash needs to design an investment portfolio right. according to an asset allocation model right similar to the one that we use at lewis financial management to achieve an acceptable growth rate using only certain benchmarks and methods that we have used for so many years. And then he needs to go ahead and make everything move from that vantage point. But he needs to approach it from the viewpoint of financial planning, not the viewpoint of the entrepreneur. Let's see what the let's see what the what the Wall Street Journal writer told him to do.
3: Well, the first thing they touched on was the health insurance cost, and their advice was, which I thought was kind of funny that that was the first one. But even if it is, it's good, but it's limited. It doesn't help him do any real retirement planning, which is his real concern. And they said that he might need to check on the price of a higher deductible plan for uh, in conjunction with his health savings plan. True, but doesn't really hit the real focus, which is how does this man create financial independence for himself?
1: Well, let me just ask you a question. The guy that gave this advice in the Wall Street Journal, was it a certified financial planner? No. Okay, that's exactly what's wrong. Yeah. Okay, there's no real advice here. The advice is what I just said. Mm -hmm. He needs to see a certified financial planner. He needs to approach it from a needs base. He needs to go ahead and start accumulating. He's still under 50 years old. He needs to start accumulating on a monthly basis and get the benefit of compounding over uh, the next 10 years And if he sells this business, for sure, don't plow the profits back into another business. Right.
3: And to have the accumulated uh, million working for him now at 48, because there's the flip side of that statement. Wow, he's 48 and hasn't accumulated uh, much in in the investment world that can be compounding. On the other hand, he has a million dollars of cash. And that, over the next 20 years, by the time he's 68, would have prepared him for uh, supplemental income to his retirement portfolio, and he may be prepared to be able to retire in 20 years. One other thing,
1: when he's... When he sells this present business that he's getting ready, that he's, mm-hmm. he's grooming to sell, yeah. he needs to roll over that 401k into, into an it. IRA. Absolutely. Have some more control over it.
3: So if you have a question about retirement planning, income during retirement, sources of income, call during the week. Our number is 919-872-7000. Make an appointment to sit down, review what you've accumulated so far, and uh, this will give you the best sense of knowing that
1: you're on track and ready for retirement. Ralph, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you?
6: Hi, Doug. I was on hold for about two and a half seconds.
3: Oh! <laughs> well, we've sorry. got good response time then, Ralph. This is Deborah Lewis. How can we help you tonight?
6: Well, here's my situation. I have one question that is, uh, I've been pondering for, for quite quite a while. Okay. I am retired from IBM after many, many, many years, uh, and I worked a few more passes at. that. And just stopped working last year. I'm 70... Well, actually, I'm 73 this week.
3: Happy birthday.
6: Thank you. And um, in... in I've got my money in, in a number of different places, but uh, basically, there is a million in tax deferred. There's a million in tax not deferred, as in already paid. Mm-hmm. And I have... Uh, I have some uh, IRA trusts in place. I am sort of a, a, a pretty frugal guy, and uh, I don't. Uh, I've got about a hundred thousand a year coming in, including the uh, RMD.
1: Now wait a second. Where's the R- <clears throat> Where's the RMD coming from? You said a million in tax deferred. Is that a four hundred one k or is that your old TDSP that you rolled into a four hundred one k? I mean, uh, you rolled into an IRA.
6: Okay, it is in. It is in roughly two fifty percent half million dollar chunks.
1: No, no, no. But what I'm asking—what's the wrapper? Yeah, what's the wrapper?
6: I I, I understand. Okay. Uh, The the first five hundred is in an an IBM four hundred one k. Okay. And the other is in an asset allocation fund that was the uh, uh, the retirement from IBM.
1: But that. But both are at IBM. Are they both still at IBM in the four hundred one k? Yes. Okay. So they're still in the four hundred one k, and fr- and and you're getting an RMD, a required minimum distribution of a hundred thousand. Uh
6: no, I'm getting an RMD. It's uh, about forty thousand, but I have about sixty and other income. Okay, not coming in.
1: All right. All right.
6: I I tried to anticipate all your questions.
1: Good. Okay. Well, <laughs> all, well the, all right. Well, I got a few more questions for you before I can come to my to the uh, to an answer.
3: Have you been listening for a long time, Ralph?
6: Oh, I well not today, but I listen pretty much every
3: Sunday. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's for you that we enjoy coming Sunday nights to the radio station to do a live show. (laughs) Well, thank you
1: for saying that. Let me hear a couple more facts. Are you married or? or I'm by myself. All right, you're single. Okay, good. That's the first thing. Uh, Do you have, at your death, do you have uh, any children or where's your estate supposed to go? Uh,
6: To my two
1: kids. You have children from a a previous marriage? you have two, you have two children yes okay uh next question is your living expenses what's your annual lifestyle estimate
6: uh, it's a believe it or not it's about 30k a year
1: about 30,000 a year that seems low are you including vacation and travel and clothing and gifts there
6: oh yes i am
1: okay good all right if we go for and by the way write down this phone number write down 919 872 7000 that's 919 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. That's my office number to where we can schedule an appointment to meet with you face-to-face and get into specifics that I can't mention because of your confidentiality on the air. Okay, so I've got facts about you. I've got age. I've got marital status. I've got income. And I've got your investments. Now, what's your question uh, directly that you want me to answer tonight?
6: My question is about the asset allocation fund. All right. And I in no way anticipate Ever touching it, I expect it to be when um, when I'm gone. I expect it to, to be part of what goes to my two kids. So the question is, why why am I not, since I have it in an IRA trust, why am I not upping that year considerably because it's going to be their uh, asset allocation fund. This, this you know you bring a up a,
3: it does and you bring up a really clear uh question but also something that we are talking about frequently if you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation call us set up an appointment we can help you 919 872 7000 919 872 7000 another name for these types of funds when they put the year in the date in the in the name of the fund is called a target date. Right. And the and the meaning behind target is if one were invested in this asset allocation fund, it would be so that when you retired, you'd be prepared. Unfortunately, you have to end that sentence with does the fund expect you to take all your money out and it would be up to the end or to continue being invested after. So you bring up a good question. Is it properly positioned?
6: The, uh, in a sense, that's exactly what I'm asking.
1: All right. Now, I'm let, me, at l- yeah, okay, let me Let
6: right. this money and wondering why it shouldn't be 2030 or 2035 20, well, or something.
1: Actually, it should be neither. And that's my point. In the world of asset allocation, there are three methods. One is a straight class method where the whoever is deciding what money is going where, he does it according to one class. Let's say stocks or bonds or real estate or treasuries. That's a class allocation, Mm -hmm. okay? And then there is a ratio allocation, which is what you're in. Uh, That's correct. A ratio allocation puts a percent of either stocks, bonds, or cash. Unfortunately, that is betting on a class of investments, which I don't like. So you can't say bonds are safer and stocks are, are riskier. That's a class determination. So knowing that, knowing that you are in a class allocation, I don't like that. I prefer that you be allocated according to managers. So I don't like the target date funds at all. I would rather that instead of you letting them say, oh, we'll bet on the classes and we'll have so much in stock, so much in bonds, and it's going to all work out perfectly. By the way, the target date funds have never, they're never doing what they say. Well, this- you
3: bring up a good point, Doug, because even if, Ralph, you change it to the 2030, here's the reality. If you're a man who knows now that it's not going to be a a source of retirement income, you're in a position that you can choose those investments inside it in an independent custodial account. In other words, choose your own wrapper, your own IRA. Have it all be under your control so that you can do exactly what you want with it.
1: But what I would do inside that account, inside that wrapper, whether you wrote, when you roll it to an IRA, which I think you should, I agree with Deborah a hundred percent. But then select the investments, build the investment portfolio with an asset allocation that you're comfortable with. You and I together, and we make that basis on managers, individual managers' personal returns, not class. We're looking for managers that have consistently beaten the index, and we can hold their feet to the fire before we say, "All right, we're going to allocate." two hundred thousand dollars to this fund okay and then we're going to allocate another 200 to this fund and another 200 to this fund but only after we've examined the track record of those managers now you're betting on managers not classes does that make sense to you there's a very big difference
6: oh i i understand and actually i've i've heard you make this argument Numerous times before.
3: (laughs) Now we're making it on your behalf. (laughs) This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919 872 I mean, that's really what it all comes down to is when you are in a position to customize something that is designed to meet the masses needs and you can turn it into something that is specific for you, you're no longer tied to the 401k asset allocation fund at IBM. You have the freedom to leave. So choose it.
1: Yeah, I, and, and I'm giving you the advice that I use with my own investment portfolio as well as my family's portfolios and so forth. I I use the manager approach, looking for managers, and then I'm comfortable. And I'm very often I go and meet with some of these managers on the behalf of my clients. But I would look at your whole world. For example, you've got a million tax deferred and a million after tax. Basically, that's one pair of pants with two pockets totaling $2 million. And I would allocate to protect the risk. According to the two million, you see what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't want duplication of one versus the other. Then, of course, if you are not spending all of your RMD, which it sounds to me like you're not going. Well, if you if your RMD is forty thousand and you're spending and your lifestyle is thirty thousand, you might. Is that what you're doing? You're living off of that?
6: Uh no. I've actually I've got another
1: sixty. Okay. In all right. From various sources. Oh, that's what that's what I figured because you hadn't even mentioned Social Security and so forth. All right, no. so, all right. So what you're doing then is you're moving money from certain managers who are inside this rollover IRA that Deborah talked about. After you've moved everything from the IBM 401k into a self-trusted IRA account where you decide what you want. With my help, of course. All right. Then, but as it's coming out, then you're sending that RMD over to the other portfolio, the after tax portfolio, and you're getting a double bang. You're actually dollar cost averaging.
3: Gotcha. What? And now, because you're a long time listener, did we answer your specific question?
6: Uh, I, I, I would say mostly.
3: Okay. Then um, let's circle back to anything that's still not answered, because well, we, we love that, uh, that you did call in, knowing a little bit more than the average first time listener.
6: Well, very kind of you. I'm not sure how true that is. Very <laughs> kind of you. Uh, I, uh, Let's assume I had, I had answered the question instead of, uh, uh, instead of the, the asset allocation approach, that it was set up um, according to the, the individual uh, account manager. Um, the question still remains, how does the fact that this money is not viewed by me as money that I'm going to ever need... And, you know, I'm 73. My kids are in their mid-40s.
1: I got it. Yes. No, I do. Okay. I've got the answer to that one. Yes, I do. Because you're like a lot of my clients now who are in their 70s and 80s, and there's no way in the world. What they're really doing as we're looking at this. We're actually looking at building the children's inheritance.
3: If you have a question and would like to ask it either after hours or have me call you back after the show, feel free to call the office, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: And, I, and many times, some of my clients, a matter of fact, their children who are in their 60s, they're meeting with me in the office right now. So I would be draining as fast as I could your IRA because at your death, the... The spouse does. There's no spouse. That means about forty percent of that money they will never receive because you've got you've got uh, uh, you've got income in respect of decedent at death taxes.
6: Uh, I, I don't. Is that true? If it's uh, inside an IRA trust, yes, it yeah. is.
1: Yes, it is. All right. However, my point is looking at it. It's just and the, the simple
3: reason why is it's income that's never been taxed. That's so right. The IRS is expecting it to be taxed,
1: and it will. No, I, that's it.
6: I, I understand that. I that the rmd has to continue to be taken out
1: but i no 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 the whole the thing the it whole has to be taken out according to the children now. well all right, you're well, talking you know you're yeah, talking now
3: you've confused things so when one dies the, the law language says you can take only the required minimum distribution if you would like to up until the point you die but the day you die all income taxes are due
1: on the entire principle that's on your part So uh, don't, don't confuse it with what the children's choices might be later. My point is there's a much better way to do what you're trying to do, which is to build their inheritance and get it away from the tax liability. You have the ability probably to double or two and a half times the entire amount over your lifetime for them.
3: Having it come out of one pocket into the other, the qua- the non-qualified portfolio. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Because at debt,
3: that's all tax-free. They get the step-up in, in, in basis, and they would pay zero taxes by sheer inheritance.
6: Yeah, they've, there's going to be some step-up in basis for the IBM stock that I've held because I owe...
3: Right. I mean, uh, the more layers that we hear about, you really need to give us a call. You've got our number. We uh, look forward to speaking with you off air so that we can really dig deeper. But you're exactly right. It's this kind of tax planning that can be done ahead of time that will make everything much more beneficial in the end. And prior to the end,
1: you'll feel like you were really, truly in control.
6: Well, I appreciate that, and you've certainly given me a lot to... uh
1: Ralph, have you been to our website?
6: Uh, Yes, I have.
1: Good. Okay, I was going to make sure that you and all the other listeners, I haven't mentioned it tonight, the website is DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com, and I've also haven't had a chance to mention tonight that for Ralph, when he comes to see us, and any other listener who comes to see us over the next week for your first appointment, we're giving away one of three free books Either The Wealthy Barber, which I like very much, even though it's out of print, but I have a lot of extra copies I give to clients, Middle Class Millionaire, or Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth.
3: And Ralph, we look forward to talking to you offline, because I think um, I think you're at the right place at the right time, and I think you're wanting to ask all the right questions to do some real comprehensive financial planning. So give us a call this week, 919 8727000 7000 and um, we enjoyed your call tonight.
6: Thank you for saying so. Oh. Appreciate it.
3: Take care, bye, bye-bye
1: I like client, I like listeners that have listened long enough to do like what Ralph said. Uh, be prepared. Get, be prepared. Know, yeah, yeah, know be the asked. kinds of questions that we're going to be asking so we can come to getting, getting some answers. Well, Lynn, let's take another case. Let's, take, let's try someone else. Let's see what another type of client might be. You got okay. another one for us?
3: I do. So uh, Wall Street Journal uh, had another case study, but this one was about a couple who had a lot of real estate and not enough savings. All right, go we ahead. We hear this one a lot because sometimes it's called the land-rich, cash-poor scenario. These folks, Alan and Celia, own two homes and are considering buying a third. But they're wondering, does trying, tying up more of their assets in real estate make financial sense? See, last year, the couple and their two children moved to Houston, where uh, Celia Began a new job as a business analyst for a software company. Okay. Now, he is a painter. He's 51, and he sells his work through a network of galleries.
1: What's their combined income?
3: Uh, their combined income is 210000 And about how much is his part? Well, um, his his income
1: waiver is about, about 3000 a month. 36000 so the bulk of it is hers. Correct. Okay. All right. A little more about them. All
3: right. Through their moves, they kept two homes— um, mainly for the rental income, which they thought could be useful. But um, they're originally from South Africa. Okay. Uh, they moved from London in 1994. And then they uh, moved to Connecticut. And they lived there for 14 years. And then before moving to Houston, they lived in San Francisco. So along the way, they collected real so what estate. Do
1: they, all right, what do they have now?
3: Well, they have uh, two homes. Okay. And they're wondering whether they should buy another. All right, and the two homes flat-
1: are what? One is in well, still in London and one's in Connecticut.
2: Go ahead, Linda. Yeah, the one in Connecticut is valued at 400,000.
1: Any mortgage debt on it?
2: Yes, the they owe about 205,000.
1: No home equity on it either?
2: Uh, not on that one. And then they have an, that other piece, uh, an apartment in London, which is three hundred and eighty-five thousand, and there's seventy-five thousand of debt on that apartment. So, I think to go back to the Connecticut home that they have
3: um, about two hundred and what is that seventy thousand of of debt? Well, go ahead if you've got if you got the right well, number. Well, no,
1: I ju- I just wanted to see what the equity was. So okay. They, all right, so. If they have a four hundred thousand dollars home in Connecticut, and if they owe what uh, two hundred and some, uh, then there's maybe one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of equity in it. Right. All right. And then, what are the expenses for that house?
3: Uh, the Connecticut house has a mortgage of seventeen hundred.
1: And they renting it out?
3: Yes. Uh, and they have income coming in of twenty seven
1: hundred rent. So they're netting about a thousand a month. Right. Right. Just about a thousand a month. And what about the other one, the London one?
3: Uh, London, they're renting it out for 1250 but it's costing them 550 in expenses. And how so much is So about $700 the, net.
1: And how much is the equity in that one? How much is it worth, you said?
2: I think it's 385000
1: And the mortgage on that one?
2: I think it's $75,000. Right.
1: So that's about 300000 in equity in that. And now- what else do we know about them? Their question is, should they buy more real estate? Do they have Right. Any? Go ahead.
3: That's the real question is, should, should they buy more real estate? Well, obviously, even if you pull it apart and you look at the pieces, what they're lacking is anything outside of real estate. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, Doug That's Doug and
1: all right, so the the short advice that I have with the little that we've got from them is number one, this is another classic type of disaster waiting to happen. Right. These people are land rich cash poor. They should not be investing in real estate. They should have that equity pulled out of the real estate, develop an investment portfolio with an asset allocation model designed comfortably for their risk tolerance, get the benefit of of dollar cost averaging with the excess going in and also of the compounding of the return for the investments that are in there they'll never go ahead and be able to make it trying to think that they're going to get enough rental income from their rent real estate to support them over their over their lifetime no
3: right i mean the, the 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 guts of this solution is all about trying to figure out a way to create a retirement portfolio and having rental income that's going to bring in just enough to either cover or not cover pass the mortgage or the debt that that, even if it does it has no way to compound
1: that's right and it has
3: no way to create an income stream from it
1: so here we've seen a couple of different uh, uh, characters tonight number one we've seen an entrepreneurial scenario Uh and that one is another is, is one way that people make mistakes and here's a second one right people who are land rich cash poor and it they're always out there there's someone out there doing it wrong but if you come to see us At Lewis Financial Management, we will show you how to do it right. That's right. It's not so difficult. You just need to have a third-party independent review, which is what we give you, and we can give you total financial planning advice. Help you create your own financial plan. Help you create your own personal financial plan. And, you know, uh, I, I love our listeners, and I love the ones that have been listening for a long time and are still out there wondering should they come to see us, make the decision, come to see us, because you need to remember that your money matters because your financial future is at stake. Have a
2: wonderful week, everyone.